Is it time for the wedding social to evolve as it pertains to prizes? A lot of local business owners are standing up and saying, "Hey, stop asking for free stuff for your social." Has the wedding social gotten out of control? For our small town salute this week, we asked you if you could do your job from anywhere in Manitoba and live there. Where would it be? Netflix is finally cracking down on password sharing. Is this going to help them or just result in a bunch of cancelled subscriptions? And what's something that you can't live without, although you forget about it until you are out of it? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, February 9th podcast for the start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thursday morning, the day after the budget. You happy with what you saw, Lauren? <laughs> I don't. Uh, you know what? It, this is going to sound bizarre. Like budget days used to be this thing where you weren't necessarily sure what was coming. So there was always some surprises that some that might tick you off, like whether it's that tax hike that was unexpected or some cuts that were unexpected. And basically, unless I'm missing something, I mean, I certainly haven't combed through all the hundreds of pages. It's pretty much sort of status quo with some return to normal for transit, the additional of that security force, some more money for trees. But basically, what we thought we'd get, we got, Greg. I would agree with that uh, 100%. I think if there were any surprises in there, Richard Cluche and uh, the rest of our colleagues would have unearthed that yesterday. Scott Gillingham, the mayor of Winnipeg, sort of echoing those sentiments. The idea that they, you know, this is this is steady as she goes. I was surprised that we aren't having conversations uh, about potential cuts to um, maybe not essential services, but maybe uh, services that are second to essential on maybe some people's priority list. The idea of refunding uh, and getting transit back to where it needs to be, I think, is a, is a good thing. Um, people need to remember the provincial government stepped up big time to help that and make that happen uh, late in the year. And the security on transit, I think, is critical, Brett, because if we want people using the transit system, there's got to be a, a faith, a trust restored in that service, let alone the reliability of the scheduling, just people feeling safe on the bus and at bus stops. Yeah, I, uh, I, an example or a, a perhaps a comparison would be that I've noticed an increase in police presence just walking through the concourse in downtown Winnipeg and uh, just seeing a couple of, couple of cops walking along may, does make me feel better. Because as you walk through the concourse, you might see some people who are in some sort of a, a state of, of distress or unwellness or what have you. You know, they, I, I, uh, there was a guy in the concourse the other day who was walking along and just screaming and swearing. And I don't know what was happening with him, uh, but I kept my distance. And uh, then a couple of cops came along. So that at least just felt better with that. So transferring that kind of mentality to the bus to know mm-hmm. that if I'm on a bus and that this force is in play, that will make me feel more confident in using it. If I were to use the bus, I haven't, I can't remember the last time I rode a bus because I don't need to with just where my I live. I walk home, I can walk wherever I need to. But for those who do use the bus, 
I would hope that this adds some confidence. We've heard from too many riders over the past few months that they've actually stopped using the bus. For those that that's an option for, I get that that for some people you have no choice. You have to get up, you have to get on the bus. That's your only way in and out. We've had people say that they've changed routes, that they've actually asked to work from home based on where the, the, the route might take them. We've had listeners say they don't let their kids take the bus anymore, that they drive them to school or to university because they're stressed about that. And so at the end of the day, sure, we can sit here and say maybe that doesn't impact me, but it impacts so many. And it would be nice if it was an option for those who have the, the ability to make that choice. Well, and hopefully uh, with the creation of some more security, it's not just about safety and feeling safe. It's also making sure people who are in distress get some of the resources and get access to the resources that they need so they aren't in that situation. But if there aren't workers out there who are familiar with the systems that are in place, it's going to reduce the opportunity, in my mind, for those people to get connected with the help that they need. And uh, just you you mentioned getting on the bus and not letting their kids ride the bus. Uh, one of my boys, uh, his, his girlfriend uh, made her way over to our place last week. And uh, I guess she didn't know the exact uh, route number that she needed and she wanted to ask the bus driver a question. She got shoved by from behind by from some woman who told her to get the F out of her way. And, and, and she, she yeah, like, like it was, she, by the time she got to our house, she was really upset. And I'm like, gee whiz, every time you hear, turn around, you hear a story like that. And it's just, it's not good on so many fronts. We'll have more on the budget at 635. Question of the day results, by the way, at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. How would you like to see City Hall tackle its budget at cjob.com? 32% said raise taxes and frontage levies as promised in the campaign. 25% cut services as needed. And 43% said no increase to taxes and fees. Similar results as well on Twitter and Instagram as well. The question of the day that went up yesterday afternoon, do you currently share your Netflix password oh. with other people? I just swore when I heard Jeff talking there, I won't say what I said, but I was basically get lost Netflix. I'm one of the many that share that password because there's a 400,000 streaming services now. I know that's not an accurate number, but yeah. <laughs> it's impossible to have them all. And so the number there was, say, for example, there's um, 200 million Netflix users, but 100 million of them, half are sharing their passwords are losing revenue. Sure. But I, I will I will 100%, if this starts to be a crackdown widespread, cancel services because I can't afford to pay for them all. And I'm sharing one with family and one with parents and all the rest. And they're, I feel like they will end up losing. Do, do you, you don't feel that I'm cheating? Yeah. Like sharing the password with people outside of your household. You're, you're comfortable with that. Yes. Very comfortable. Because I paid it's a service that I've paid for to my home that there was no rule. It was like you stream it under a certain password. It's no different than any other thing that you might buy and you would share. You've already paid for it. Use it however you want. I get that they've changed the parameters of that now and it will be feel more like cheating if I don't get caught, but I don't feel bad about it. Yeah, I'd be curious to know even, uh, for example, if I were to log into Netflix on a computer here at work for the couch potatoes, you know, I might want to go go in and grab a piece of audio Mm -hmm. or something, but if I'm if it, it, it has to be the same address, 
So I haven't really looked into that, right? Because they're, they're saying if you you can have multiple, you can share your password with someone at your same address, so. right? So yeah. the kids on their iPad, me on my right. iPhone, yeah. husband on the TV, someone else. It, that that doesn't happen, but that's the only case where that works. You all have to have the same. IP address. The same IP address. Yeah. And so I was out with uh, some friends last night and and uh, one of my friends said, if you want to go somewhere, say you're going to the States for a couple of weeks and Netflix is part of your travel experience, you're going to have to let them know that you're traveling. Oh my goodness. And my buddy goes, I don't even tell my mom when I'm traveling. Yeah, exactly. I go, <laughs> Netflix and tell them... I'm going to here, here, and here. Would it be okay if I use my service? He said, I'll cancel it before I do that. I guess I'm trying to think of something that it would be similar to. I'm trying to, and, and I can't. And that, that, as I say this, I thought, huh, I wouldn't give my gym card to somebody else to access the gym because that's I pay for that service for me. Yeah. Is that the same thing as paying for that Netflix account but then giving someone else my... Well, is it any different? Like a card. Is it any different than back in the day when you bought a record album and you made a cassette tape and you made a cassette tape for your friend? And you go, I'm going to keep the album, but here's a cassette tape. Mm, that was sort of theft too. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're going to break down some of the budget stuff in just a moment, and in our next segment, we're going to tell you how you can win stuff. But before we do anything else, we must clarify that Loren is not a thief. You don't have to clarify it. I'm going to clarify it because we were talking at the top of the show about these changes to Netflix subscriptions. And I said, I share a password with a family member who doesn't even live in this province. And Greg, you asked, do you feel bad about that? And I said, no, I paid for it. I don't feel bad about it. This is the service I paid for. And I was trying to think about why should I feel bad about this? And one of our listeners reminded us through 780-6868 this following. They texted to say... Netflix subscriptions were always based on concurrent streaming devices along with the picture quality and resolution. So why does it matter who is streaming as long as you don't exceed the number of concurrent streaming services? That's what they're cracking down on now, saying you can't do that. But I signed up for a plan that allowed for four screens because I thought it would mean me, at the worst case, me, kids, husband, and this other family member. So I I did the four. I paid for that. Now they're saying you can't do that in different IP addresses, but I signed up for a plan Fair. that allows for four screens. Yeah, they didn't qualify that. They didn't say where or when what. When you signed up for your services, there was no IP address no. qualification. And I get they're changing that, but that that I was racking my brains as to why don't I feel bad about this? Because it does seem wrong. But then no, that's not what I signed up for in the beginning. That seems wrong to them because there are billions. All they can see is the billions in lost revenue. Sure. That's the way they see it. Uh, regardless of the the terms and conditions that you agreed to when you signed up as a customer. So, uh, yeah, okay. I think you've redeemed yourself. If if I want to do that now, that's going to cost me 23, 24 bucks a month. That's a lot. Yeah, because they're saying that for the premium high-definition 4K subscribers who already pay $20.99 per month, you can add up to two members who don't live in your household. But you still have to buy that extra slot for $7.99 per month each. So now I'm 29 bucks. Yeah. Forget the 99. Get lost with your one cent. It's $21 (laughs) plus $8. It's $29.99, $7.99. I'm not an idiot. 
I will be if I continue with this plan. <laughs> then you can call me an idiot. And they also say a letter received by one subscriber uh, this week said that Netflix is for a single household, stated that they had until February 21st to add a primary location to their account. This would allow Netflix to recognize anyone who accesses the account outside the home base. And for viewers who frequently travel... Or own a second home. Netflix says the account holder will have to sign in on their Netflix mobile app at least once a month while connected to the Wi-Fi at their primary location. (laughs) I use Netflix all the time when I'm not at home. All the time. Like I go get a haircut, I'm watching a show. Yeah? Yeah. Put my earbuds in, I go get, you know, manicure, watching a show, waiting at the doctor's office. I listen to podcasts or radio, but if I... Don't want to? I watch a show. Every time I'm waiting somewhere, I put on a show. You know, these services in their business plan when they started would have done anything for the reach, for the number of subscribers that they have, and to have the revenue that they generate. And so now that they've achieved this uh, substantial success, all of a sudden it's like they want to reel it in. Yeah, That's my frustration, is that if you go back in time six, seven years ago and you would have said you're going to have this many million subscribers uh, generating this amount of revenue, they would have all done a happy dance. And now here we are, uh, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years later, and they're going, oh, they can seize the money they're not getting. Well, and part of the problem, too, with Netflix is they were the only game in town when they first really, like, launched the streaming uh-huh. service, and now they're competing against Prime. It's a changing Prime, game, right? competing against Disney Plus and mm-hmm. Paramount Plus and Hulu and all these other streamers that, that are in the States that I are I share a here. Disney one. Are they going to Disney doing something about this? Probably. They probably all will now. Once they start, one starts doing it, they all do it. This is like the Hunger Games. They're changing the rules in the middle of the game. 24 people go in, only one comes out. Oh, wait, could be two. Could be some of them. Spoiler alert, could be more than two. Probably will happen with Disney. They lost $1.5 billion last year on Disney Plus, uh, if what I was reading was correct. So they're bleeding money. They're laying off like 7,000 people across the company. That's because all they have on there is like endless superhero movies. I've never seen so much superhero-ness. In my life, they have a pretty expensive, pretty expensive catalog of films. There's a lot of films on there. Feels like it's all superheroes. You feels like it. I feel like I need to do a deeper dive. Yeah. But every time I get that main screen, I'm like, "Is this all there is?" <laughs> you got to <laughs> check the the Star Channel. That's the uh, the restricted channel. That's for the adults. Restricted. Yes. Like in- so, so you might get some mature content. That's why. That's how Pam and Tommy ended up on Disney Plus. Because it was uh, it's a Hulu show, but it ended up here. And like, really, Pam and Tommy on Disney Plus? Going on Disney Plus right now. First world problems, eh? At the end of the day, (laughs) it really is. For sure. For sure. And that's so true. And as you think about the budget and how that's ticking me off, of course, the city handed down its budget. I think we were going to play a story here, but we're probably out of time, Brett, which is totally fine. Your taxes are going up. You're paying more in frontage levies. There's hardly any cuts in this budget, which is amazing. I think they said that they're going to not fill some positions that are vacant, so that will allow them to save some money over the year. But really, it's status quo. So it's kind of like when you go for a meal and you get what you asked for. Or you get what you was on the menu, I suppose, is a better way of putting it. And then no real surprises. And then no real surprises. Are you disappointed? It's what you ordered. Transit, though. Are you a rider? Would you like to be, but maybe concerns over safety or even just a lack of reliable service? Have they kept you from riding the bus? So later in the show, will more money make a difference to your feelings about transit? 
we are going to uh, work to speak to an avid rider of the bus. And then our question of the day results, by the way, from Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. How would you like to see City Hall tackle its budget? And yesterday morning, we had 32% who said raise taxes and levies as promised, cut services as needed, 25%, 43%, no increase to taxes and fees. Did the, the, the Transit Security Force Mackling, would that make you feel better uh, about, uh, say, the boys riding the bus? Not sure. That's a really good question, Brett. Uh, I would have to see what the logistics are, what their plans are, uh, where those security officers uh, would be riding. But uh, ultimately, a society or, or a community or a city the size of Winnipeg, it's been said around the world that a transit system is only successful if people who don't need to financially, economically... Right. Uh, use transit, um, then then you're not doing it right. If 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 the only people taking the bus are the people that quote unquote have to take the bus, you're failing in providing this service. And and I think most of us could could argue that uh, Winnipeg is failing at this point for the most part. It is Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Question we have for you this morning: What's something that you forget? You can't live without. So, i.e., I, I, it's not the obvious one. Like, if you're a coffee person, that might be the first thing that jumps to mind. I can't live without my morning coffee. Or, I'm one of the couch potatoes. I can't live without my television. But I remembered, was reminded Wednesday morning that I cannot live without mouthwash because I ran out of it Tuesday night. I used up the last drop. So Wednesday morning, I brushed my teeth and I was chewing gum, but I just, my mouth felt gross. Without getting that morning shot of that bright blue radioactiveness. I just felt like my mouth felt like an ashtray, like a garbage dumpster. So I couldn't get to the grocery store fast enough after work. And I feel much better again. Feel life is... Life is good. I bought the biggest bottle they had. Like, did you not... have a bad day after? Like, did it, did it just ruin the whole day? No, I just felt gross. Just, okay. you know, felt like, ah, yuck. I, I need some mouthwash. Stat! So 204-780-6868. Something you can't live without, but something you don't necessarily remember until maybe it's gone. And it doesn't have to be groceries. It could be something else. So let's go around the horn here. Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you, sir? Uh, for me, I, I guess, I don't really have anything. I guess it's the, the bubbly water, the carbonated flavored water. I've really come to enjoy that, and I get very, very sad if I suddenly run out of it in my fridge, even though, you know, the tap's there with plenty of fresh water that I could drink to my <laughs> heart's content, but I don't like it anymore. It's just ruined me for regular water. So uh, I, I as soon as I get down to like six cans of that or one two-liter bottle of the no-name stuff, I start getting uh, anxious about it and start planning my trip to the store to re-up. Flavored? Yes. Like, like the bubbly? Like the, the bubbly, bubbly? But, the, yeah. but, but no-name? Either. Any of it. Okay. What's yeah. your favorite flavor of the bubbly? Uh, watermelon lime. Watermelon lime. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, I like pineapple. That's a good why. one, too. They're yeah. all good. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Poitras? Um, you know, I had one and it just absolutely. <laughs> do you want mind. us to circle back? Yeah, I, I'll circle do, back. I was derailed because I was like, that like, pineapple honestly drink had sounds one. good with vodka. I walked I in thinking. with one and it's like totally escaped me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll circle back to you. Yeah. Like, like yeah, we're, you're, oh, I just need another minute to maybe. Yeah. Uh, Greg, what would you like to place an order on? <laughs> it's like, yeah, sitting at the table. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what I want yet. Uh, for me, it's, I, I can't start my day A without a shower, but it, it's my tea. And if I don't get my tea, 
I com- it throws me off completely. Last week, I went through the Tim Hortons drive through at Henderson, and their computer was down, and uh, often they will just give me a tea when that is the situation. There was no free tea offer that morning, so instead of going without my tea, I drove all the way over to the Tim Hortons on Nairn before coming in because there was no way I was starting my day without my little uh, kick in the behind. Okay, well, that's uh, (laughs) dedication, stupidity, one or the other or both. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, What about you, Loren? Something that you forget that you can't live without. Back scratcher. Oh, the back scratcher. (laughs) I love my back scratcher. (laughs) And it's only when I don't have it. Like I could, I I was at home for work for years, two years, right? Always had the back scratcher, forgot it. Then I came to work and was like, oh my gosh, I have to bring this back scratcher to work. And I could go days not using it. Yeah. But as soon as I think about it, like right now, I'm like, why is it not right beside me? Where is my back scratcher? Where is it? It's at my desk. Okay. But I need to be bringing it into the studio. No, it's in my studio. Ew, That's gross. Really? Don't. No, I'm just teasing you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm addicted now too. It's your fault. I'm I like a bear. I scratch my back against the edge of a door. Yes, I door watch you do now. that and I want to do that. And yeah. I think about someone scratching the back and I want to do it. It's like a, well, I was talking to G Mac yesterday, and he was doing it. Greg was doing yeah, it, sitting there and just, just on the corner, just going back and forth, <laughs> scratching his back on there. I thought it was funny. That's right, the back scratcher. I was. I remember when you you first started working with us, and the, you you sort of made it. You laid it out very clearly, like. By the way, I'd like to scratch my back, and I'm going to be doing this pretty much constantly. Have you ever started a new job, and you feel like you need to just like throw out all the things that are weird about you so that people understand when it happens, and you have to just walk in and be like, hi, nice to meet you. I like to scratch my back at weird times. Also, A, B, and C are my quirks. <laughs> is the noise I make when my throat's yeah. itchy. Like, deal yeah. with it. Yeah, right? that's my favorite noise. You have it, right? Yeah. 5 a.m.? Oh, I missed that. Why so is it? I, so weird. I use a tack to clean my fingernails, and I'm pretty sure people notice that I do that. That's weird. Attack. See, no one's noticed good. Now I just outed myself uh, as someone who like cleans. a thumbtack. Yeah, what yeah, if you stab yourself under the nail? Listen, no, I, you you got to just careful. You know, you're careful. But if you don't have that, does anything replace that? If you don't have your tack, uh, no, it has to be a tack. Has to be a tack. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. My grandpa used to clean his ears with his keys. Oh, that was weird. <laughs> I saw the key, right? Like, what are you doing, Grandpa? Cleaning my ears. Leave me alone. That's how I do it. What, what about in November? Uh, could you like use the, a poppy? To, to, uh, yeah, in, I, in, I've in used, a pinch. I've used a poppy in a pinch. Yeah, I have. Okay. I don't yeah. know about that. That's the same. What's, feels, that that feels, that. what's, what's the difference? Oh, well, yeah. So is that is that the thing that you can't, you forget you can't live without is a thumbtack? Wow, that's a good one now. But no, lip balm. I used to be like a, uh, a lip balm denier. I wouldn't live. I lived without it. Like I just said, I'll just sit here with chap lips. It's not a big deal. Uh, ridiculous. Who did I think I was? Um, now that I'm on the lip chap train, it's oh uh, like, the more you use it, the more you need it, brother. I know, man, mm-hmm. but I can't now I'm, a, now I'm hooked on the stuff. Like if I get a little bit dry on my lips, I, I need to, I'm, I'm all over the lip chap. That's a cartel. We were upset with Netflix. It's the, the lip balm. Once you start using it, you cannot stop. Oh, but like, it's better than me. My lips hurting. You know, like so dry. Oh, I can't. Now it drives me nuts. I can't deal with it. That's like, the same thing with yeah. an itchy back. I don't think it's actually itchy. Yeah. And your lips aren't as dry as you think they are, but you've conditioned yourself to mm. want it. Well, it's like when, like my, uh, like, <laughs> like this, my wife and I all scratch, you know, each other's backs yes. as we do, and it's like all of a sudden I'm itchy in this spot and I'm itchy in that spot, and oh, uh, up, up, down, down, and stuff like that. It wasn't itchy before you started scratching. 
And all of a sudden, my whole back's itchy. <laughs> it's, it's psychological. It's like it's the totally lip chap. I love the lip back scratching. The, the lip chap cartel. Yeah, it's like just like those guys. <laughs> I want them like in my coat, like a person, like when you're walking down the street, you're just like, back scratcher? You know, just whip it out and yeah. like a saber, like a lightsaber. Well, it, it's fitting, too, because you could call that cartel El Chapo. <laughs> <laughs> Nice one. Not bad. I feel like Brett was just sitting there for like 60 seconds now, just That's sweating. A standing like, ovation. am I going to get El Chapo in this conversation or not? I need it so bad. Forte, what about you? For me, it's uh, cutlery at work. So, usually in my backpack, bring a backpack every day, and I keep up, and I know it's bad. I keep plastic forks and spoons in there. Uh, and on the weekend, I'll take out the plastic spoons, forks, leave them, at, uh, leave them on my desk at home, and there's times I go to work and I'm making a salad bowl or I'm making a rice bowl and I don't have a fork. Like, what do you do? And like, are, we have no cutlery. Eat like a dog. I'm not going to shove my face in it. But yeah, like that's something I cannot live without. Like y- you need cutlery. You know what? That's fair. That kind of reminds me when I was uh, getting ready to sell my house and I'd already packed up a whole bunch of stuff and uh, removed, like taken some of it out already. And then I just wanted to eat a can of a can of soup. And, I'd, and I, the can opener was gone. I think the can opener belonged to my ex. So I'm like, I don't have a can opener. What, what am I going to do? I think I used a... I sat on the floor with a screwdriver just <laughs> pounding on this can of soup. I got it open, but it took me like 45 minutes to just to get into the can. It was the most pathetic, sad thing. Did what you did have- you do for fire, Brett? <laughs> Did you have an option, like, or was it once you started thinking of the soup, you had to have that soup? I pretty much had nothing else. Oh, okay, it was like eat this soup or don't eat at all. <laughs> because that happens yeah. too. It's like the back scratcher chap phenomenon. Once you start thinking of the food item, you're like, well, I can't. Yeah, I gotta have I, it. I can't have anything else in this fridge. That's a ridiculous suggestion. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. The things you forget that you can't live without. So maybe not the obvious one. Your morning coffee. Or like I said, the TV, I'm a couch potato, got to have my television, but I forget. Make sure you don't run out of mouthwash. Just stop asking for stuff for free. That is the line in a post from a small business owner that really caught our attention this week. Yeah, so it was written by our next guest who posted to social media, quote, I don't know who needs to hear this, but asking for free stuff from any business, especially small, and calling it exposure in 2023 as they recover from a pandemic is really wild. Either learn to structure a sponsorship deal or just stop asking for free stuff. This goes for socials, too. It's empalling and entitled. Susie Erjavec-Parker is the author of that post and a marketing expert and owner at Sparker Strategy Group. Good morning, Susie. Good morning, everyone. From when I read that, I felt like you've probably been wanting to shout that from the rooftops for a while now. But what was the you know proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, Susie? So it was that obvious, hey, Lauren? Okay. So, yeah, there was definitely some pent-up frustration in that. So having worked in social media for over 10 years now, I monitor a lot of accounts and I help manage a lot of accounts. And I can tell you that the DMs or the inboxes of these accounts have been full of these types of requests in the last, I guess, sort of as we've come out of the restrictions of the pandemic and people are getting back to doing events, these requests and demands have been piling up for the last year or so. That's uh, obviously some pent-up demand there, Susie. And uh, once upon a time, uh, you may have heard I was in the restaurant business and the number of requests that we got back then in writing through the mail 
uh, four gift certificates uh, to sponsor a social from someone I'd never ever seen in the restaurant were uh, beyond comprehensible. It was dozens a month of people. And so without a relationship with the business involved, let's talk about socials first and foremost and the idea of, oh, I'm gonna, you're going to gain all this exposure. Uh, why do people feel this... Mm, you, you called it entitlement to, to approach my business, even though I've never seen you in the front door and ask me for something for free. Yeah, I think that it comes down to people not understanding the actual financial impact of what these requests for free things do to businesses. So someone might think, oh, it's a $10, $20, $50 gift certificate. Businesses can just write that off. Well, here's the hint. Businesses can't actually write that off. So what they have to do is actually go into their uh their actual ledgers and give that away. That is free stuff that they have to give away. There's nothing that they can count it against. They are not getting anything by giving that stuff away. Now, you mentioned the relationship. So yes, if there's a relationship with um, with a small business that you have, and when I say relationship, I mean that when you walk in, they go, hey, Greg, nice to see you again. That's a relationship. They know who you are. I can understand if you wanted to approach that business owner and see if there's some kind of way that they might want to contribute to whatever event you're going to or putting on. But the majority of these requests are not that at all. They're coming into my spam inboxes. And, and this is not just me. These are other people across the city. My inbox was flooded with people who said, oh my gosh, if I could show you my inbox, you'd be horrified. So there's, there's a certain level of misunderstanding in the public. There's a certain level of entitlement. It's like, why can't you just do it for me? But of course, as you know, Greg, if you do it for me, you're doing it for 200 other people who've already emailed you. And that's the thing is that it's not sustainable and it's just not appropriate anymore in this economy that we're in. So if I've got an event coming up, like a social, how do I go about asking for a donation? What should I be doing in 2023? So I think it really matters in terms of what is the actual event and what is the actual point of the event? What is the goal of the event, right? And nonprofit events that have silent auctions and things like that, that is one thing versus a wedding social that, that is a completely other type of thing. And I think it comes down to explaining your case to whoever it is that you're approaching for the, um, for the gift. And let's call it that. It's a gift because they're giving it to you. What is the case that you can make? Is it someone that you have a relationship with? And can you outline sort of what the benefit it as is of this gift. Now, the second part of that, what I've always done is probably in the last 10 years is if I was approaching somebody for a prize for a social, I would say, okay, I have a budget of, let's say $100. I can do a $100, $100 gift certificate. Can you add to that with say $20 or $25 on behalf of the um, retailer? Would they be able to do that? Now that is sort of meeting them where they are. So they're not giving you everything for free. You are putting in some skin into the game and you're going to contribute to their bottom line in some way. I feel like there's a little bit of a give and take there and that is far more amenable than just simply demanding that a business owner give you something for free because you're having 1,500 of your closest friends come over and buy $2.50 drinks for a night. You know, I, I'm, as I'm sitting here, I've been guilty of this. You know, we organize events in our community and you ask small businesses to contribute to those events. I've done fundraisers and I've emailed different businesses for donations. And I think now as I look back and reflect, some of them are people I didn't know. I, I just was sending out emails and as a um, that one-off that they might be willing to donate to the charity. But because of the email world we live in, it almost makes it easier. You don't have to even walk into the store and ask. You're sending out these notes with this bizarre expectation that someone's going to circle back to you. And so it's not even the, uh, I don't want to say lazy fundraising, but it kind of is. 
you have absolutely nailed that factor. So email and social media have made it so easy because people just simply go to their feed and start looking for creators or artisans or small business and just start flooding their inboxes with basically form emails. Like they're all the same. I've seen them come through multiple emails or multiple accounts, pardon me, with the exact same format. There's no change. There's no personalization. There's none of that. So you're exactly right. Now, what I want to say to people too is that you don't necessarily have to feel bad about this because Perhaps in 1998, this was okay, but we are in a different time now. So as we are evolving and as things change, things are no longer sustainable and no longer appropriate. And in my opinion, this is absolutely one of those things that is no longer sustainable for small businesses. Yeah, it's an investment and people need to realize that. If I'm if I'm giving you something, I am doing a little bit of math in my head. I'm trying to understand what is the exposure, what is the return on my investment. And if it's just a community feel-good thing because I like you or I know you or I feel strong about a cause, that's one thing. But when I, you know, and once again, uh, I could be wrong on this, but I always preferred versus a punch card for the buy seven, get the eight free, I always used to love love the idea of going up to a customer, a regular customer and go, you know what, Susie, I've noticed you've been here six times in the last four months. I'm going to buy you your lunch today. I really appreciate your business. And that went a much further in my mind than uh, just uh, the automatic free meal because you were a good customer. And I, I think relationship building is more critical now than ever. I think it really is. And you also talk in that in that example, Greg, you talk about the element of surprise and delight, which as a marketer, that's what you're always trying to do with your customers, right? You're always trying to capture that piece of the customer experience that really helps build that relationship and that loyalty. And that type of action really does that. What this type of you know demand or entitlement does is that you're simply spraying and praying, right? You're sending out a bunch of emails and a bunch of requests, whether they're form or you know letter form, whatever, and hoping for the best. Now, that being said, Lauren, when you talk about the small town feel, I feel like that's even a bit of a different case because if you don't know them in your small community, somebody does. And hopefully the somebody who does should be the person to approach that person and ask it on behalf of the team. I understand that there are still places where it's appropriate, but again, then it comes to, okay, here's our sponsor. We have this company who's contributed $1,000 that we can buy silent auction prizes with. That is the way you can sponsor a, a sponsorship deal and structure it so that everybody can win and nobody is walking away empty-handed and in the red for your event. Susie Urjavec parker marketing expert and owner at Sparker Strategy Group. Always a pleasure, Susie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb getting some reaction here on our text line to the conversation that we just had about socials and the demand, the entitlement, give me something for free so I can put it in my auction. Yeah, and especially to the people who are making those asks, and like I said, I've been guilty of this, to businesses you've never even frequented before, and now you're turning to them to say, can I get a spa day or a t-shirt or six candles for my social? Daryl says... This lady nailed it. I truly support the nonprofit fundraising social, but the wedding social has gone overboard. Wedding socials used to be put on by the wedding party for the couple to get together with some friends that may not be invited to the wedding. Now they're put on by a couple to raise as much money as possible for their wedding. Maybe have a smaller wedding that you can afford. And I'm not sure about the origins there. I think the social, much like the shower, was around the idea years ago, decades ago, is that the couple was young. 19, 20, 21, 22, leaving home or just getting started. And so it was about helping them get on their feet. 
Yeah, I think that was traditionally thrown by the wedding party, right? Right. And and just like uh, just like the uh, showers are typically by by the mom of one side or the other, and and then they get together. Yeah, I I think that the spirit of it has changed over the years. Uh, there's no question about it. Continue to weigh in, 204-780-6868. Maybe we'll update our question of the day at cjob.com to reflect socials. Small town salute. So the question this morning, and you're welcome to call us at 204-780-6868. If you could do your job from anywhere... So if you didn't need to be in a city like Winnipeg, Brandon, Portage, what small town in Manitoba would you live in? So, Loren, you said not Minidosa. What is it? Well, as I say that, it might be Minidosa, but it'd have <laughs> to have those kind of amenities. I love the community I'm in right now, and what makes your community is often the people, and you don't know until you get there that you're going to love what you love until you're like, oh, my gosh, this community is so giving. It's got great amenities, great people. But if I were to add one extra thing, I do like to be by the water. So Minidosa has the water. It has the golf course. It's got the curling club. It's got the valley. It's got the hills. It's got the ski hill. It's also not far from Clear Lake. So Minidosa is a great option. But I think I still would have to go with something like maybe a Lactabani, a Wasagamine, like just to be right on a bigger lake in that lake type community, which is a few more extras. But as I say this, I feel like it's sacrilege and I must go back to Minidosa. So I'm sweating like my arms are crossed (laughs) and my hands are clenched and I'm not sure how to undo this. I can fix this, Loren, because for me, it would be Minidosa. There you go. I was very close to moving there as an adult. I was, I had a whole business plan. I had everything figured out and then, well, then uh, Jackie came along and and ruined everything. But, uh, and I mean that of course, uh, very, very affectionately. Uh, Minidosa does have all those uh, wonderful things that you mentioned, but also just the whole idea. My dad's property, love my dad's property on the east side of the valley and you could sit on his front porch and you look out the window and you see across the valley and it was the classic Manitoba thing Brett when you look at one another you just think to yourself doesn't feel like I'm in Manitoba yeah, and that was the validation. So uh, for me, it would be Minidosa, but I guess uh, my ultimate uh, answer, one word answer on behalf of the family, would be Oak Bank. Oak Bank. Well, because I because I know I know at least one other person in my house would like to live in Oak Bank. And they got that burger place, Cedar and Maine. Oh, I keep hearing yeah. great things about. I still got. I've driven by it. there twice in the last two weekends because kids had hockey out there and it wasn't opened at the time we were there. We were there so early. Oh no! And I'm all the way there. I'm like, I'm gonna get this burger. I'm checking out the menu. That's good. Yeah. Is Pine Ridge Hollow a town? I'd like to live at Pine Ridge. I Hollow went there just could. a couple weeks ago. You, be, you, I'd love to live there because of the smell of campfire. Do you have a place you'd love to live, like a small town in Manitoba? I'm still actually trying to decide because I'm, I'm sort of waffling here. So let's go to Angela at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Hi there, Angela. Good morning. I would say Roblin, Manitoba. Roblin, nice. Why Roblin? Well, first of all, you're 10 minutes from Mississippi, uh, 10 minutes from the Lake of the Prairies, half hour from the Duck Mountains. It's just, it's a beautiful community. The arena, the swimming pool, the curling rink, it's just a wonderful community. Angela, are you the mayor of Roblin? Are we speaking to the mayor of Roblin right now? No, (laughs) I'm not. I actually live in Steinbach. (laughs) Angela, there's only one problem with Roblin. It's really close to Saskatchewan. (laughs) It doesn't matter. You can still cheer for the Bombers, and you can still cheer for the Jets. 
And believe it or not, though, Saskatchewan does have the amenities, and uh, you go visit, and then you come back, and all is well. I knew. As I was looking up, I can't remember where Roblin is, and I looked at them looking at Google Maps, and I zoom in, and I see the borderline, like, oh, my goodness, I know exactly what Greg is going to say. Too close, too close. Thank you, Angela. That's Have a good day. Fa- you too. That was fantastic, Angela. Yeah, you know what? Um, I am betwixt and between on this because one of my favorite spots in Manitoba is West Hog Lake. Mm-hmm. And it would be and it it would be very way out of my price range, but when you when you go down to the the lake and you see those big fancy homes and c- cottages, quote mm-hmm. unquote, mm-hmm. that are sort of on top of the cliff looking overlooking the lake, mm-hmm. that I just think god, that would be so nice because mm-hmm. I love just the way that area smells and it's just so fresh and the I know the it's a kind of a neat. The, the lake itself is kind of neat, right? Didn't it wasn't informed by a meteor or something? That's right. Isn't it the deepest lake. It's one of the deepest lakes. It's clear. It's a rock bottom, and you would be following in the footsteps of our founder, Jack O'Blick, who had uh, a magnificent cottage, the Blick family at uh, at West Hawk for years and years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that would be one. And, of course, you mentioned golf, Loren. West Hawk is not far from Falcon Lake Golf oh, Course, which is very nice. My fave. But uh, what I about actually, Morden? I, well, I would have written school, too. I've got Morden written down on the paper for you. Oh, more, you know what? That's all. See, I, there's another one. Morden's fantastic. I love Morden. Every time I go there, I think I always think, ah, I really wish we could like stick around and explore this place. Mm-hmm. But we usually just get in our car and drive home after we play golf in Minnewasta, which is a, also an outstanding golf course. I'm not just saying this for our news overlord who's from there, but the Killarney area of Manitoba <laughs> is also a super pretty area. More rolling hills. There's lakes in and around there. It's, it's To me, it's more like... The town is, like I said, you have to have the people, but what's what's going to be the picturesque element for you? Yeah. Well, and on that front, there's uh, another golf course I played last year called Pleasant Valley Golf Club. It's listed as in Belmont, Manitoba. Just up the road. Yeah, it's not far from Killarney. Because oh. we played Killarney and we played Pleasant Valley. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, there's, a, there's a hidden valley campground. Well, yeah, this is like a hidden gem of Manitoba. I had no idea it was there. And the little community that surrounded the golf course, it looked like a really perfect little spot, either for a holiday or just to live a nice, quiet life. What about Ninette? Ninette, right on Pelican Lake. There's a house. I think I shared it with you guys a few weeks ago. There's a house in Ninette that's going to be, I think, like a, it's got a, a resort. It's a big, beautiful house. Just sold for millions of dollars. It generated interest from people from right across North America and around the world. Yeah, that's Spectacular right. Spectacular house there in Pelican Lake. Uh, it's some wonderful views when you go into that Pembina Valley. Yeah. And just to circle back to Angela, who yeah. called in for Roblin. Yes. One of our listeners added, they also have great garlic sausage in Roblin. <laughs> and then said, not that I would move to a town for garlic sausage, or maybe I would. Mm. Borderland garlic sausage. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you can continue to weigh in at 204-780-6868. I think we might have time for one more phone call here from Sean. Hey, Sean, where would you live? You know what? I'm going to give a shout out to Beaujager because uh, I live out in the country and, you know, Beaujager gives an amazing uh, availability to the city. You're a half hour into the white shell. You're Mm -hmm. amazing snowmobile trails. You got everything around you there, and you got all the amenities you need, and we, we're there every day, so it's amazing. There's also that cool restaurant. Is it? Uh, it's right by where Plains Land. Uh, yeah, we have, 
Yeah, you got Blue Haze Barbecue, and you got Collins, which is a really amazing uh, place to go get some cool tacos yeah. and pretty killer hotel and hockey and everything you need. All right, Sean, thank you so much for that. And you can continue to weigh in on the text line, but we do need to check traffic and weather. I just want to say the thing about Bozager the last time I was there just a few weeks ago, because of that small town feel, they also take their snowmobile to the rink. Like I've seen snowmobiles oh. parked outside and I don't oh. know if they're viewers or like, you know, just fans or if they're bringing their hockey gear like that. But I'm like, this is the best. Just going to take my sled to the rink. Power toboggan championships. It's like they built the town around power sleds, toboggans around skidoos and snowmobiles. Well, continue to weigh in on our text line. We'd love to hear from you. What, in what, where would you live if you could? If you could do your job there, you didn't have to be in a city. What part of Manitoba would you live in? It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We talked yesterday about body image, wanting to be healthier, etc. Well, what if you're trying to be healthier, but you just can't afford it? Yeah, that's right. As we continue week five of the Global News Out-of-Pocket series on inflation, today we'll learn about how low-income Canadians are disproportionately affected health-wise by rising food costs, Loren. As Global's Alexia Kapralos explains, <clears throat> excuse me, this could have health care consequences for those who cannot afford to make the healthy purchase. As grocery prices continue to rise, Canadians are feeling the pressure at the checkout lane. And for lower income individuals, it's affecting the way they shop. According to the 2023 Canada Food Price Report by Dalhousie University, consumers can expect a rise in food prices across the board, with vegetables increasing the most at 6 to 8% this year. However, the prices of processed foods have and will remain fairly stable. As the most nutritious of food items ring up the highest, they become more inaccessible to Canadians with less to spend, which disproportionately impacts their well-being. If folks are unable to eat these foods to purchase them, it could lead to a lot of um, health negative health impacts in the future. So this could lead to nutrient deficiencies. It can lead to the development of chronic illnesses. Not being able to purchase foods can lead to things like, you know, the stress, anxiety, depression. Mensa adds this could also add burden to Canada's already buckling healthcare system. It will be more of a treatment-based healthcare system instead of a preventative healthcare system. Though there are no easy ways to stop food inflation, there are ways to deal with the rising costs. Finance expert Rubina Ahmed Hack advises to go back to basics. There are surveys that show that when you shop with a list, you spend 23% less because you're focused and you don't get off track. So you only buy the things that you need. Uh, the other thing is to shop the flyers. It's worked better to shop week by week rather than trying to do bulk one month shops. With bulk shopping, people often overshop and end up tossing food, which Ahmed Hack says is like throwing your money in the trash along with the spoiled food. She adds using mobile apps like Flip or Rebee to compare deals and price match can help lower your grocery bill. Another option for low-income Canadians is to access food banks. But the solution is far from perfect, as people often experience challenges in using them. Accessing food banks may uh, force folks to see that they need help. So perhaps there's a lot of shame and guilt associated with them. Food inflation may show few signs of slowing down, nor is it likely we'll see the original price stickers. Eventually, higher interest rates will work into the economy, and inflation can become more manageable at 2% year over year. In the meantime, shopping for produce that's in season, looking for the best deals, and incorporating exercise into your lifestyle can keep you healthy, even as prices skyrocket. Alexia Kapralos, Global News. 
eventually, eventually things will start to ease up, but we're not there yet. And so if you think about it, a head of romaine lettuce right now, say it's six bucks on a good day. Well, your bag of chips is two bucks cheaper than that. So you often just, you know, if you're hungry, you're p- picking different options. If you're looking at pasta, the white pasta the, the versus whole grain pasta, the different vegetables cost, you're just, you're making choices every day and you know they're not the healthy ones, but you're thinking like that just saved me two, three bucks times 20. And so that's where it becomes really hard. Even if I go to the vending machine, they sometimes have like peanuts or trail mix in there, but it's like two, three dollars. Oh, it was a bag of jalapeno chips. It's like a dollar twenty-five. Right, the makes nuts the, are makes, better choice. Makes the choice all too easy, doesn't it? For some, you can weigh in at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. We'll have much more on this through the day, and then tomorrow, as we wrap up our six eighty CJOB Health Series for Body Measure, we're going to be talking about how Whole Foods can help with your mental health. So it's not all sort of ties together. You're trying to be healthy. The benefits are there, but what if you can't afford it? Right now, we just want to get right into this because over the next few hours, a handful of Canadians will be making their way to Turkey to do what they can for earthquake survivors. Yeah, so the organization is called Global Medic, and this group is largely made up of volunteers. They might have expertise in emergency services. They might be paramedics, firefighters. They might work in engineering or carpentry, and they're often deployed around the world when disasters strike. And so today, it's sending teams armed with emergency food kits, tents, water purification units to Turkey. We have estimates out this morning that have put the death toll now in Turkey, Syria, at more than 17,000. Of course, we know millions of people are without a place to live. And we say good morning to Raul Singh, founder and executive director of Global Medic. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Yeah. And as you were saying, you know, our teams have responded to over 250 ops, worked in 81 countries, and we've worked in both these regions in Syria for the last decade. And we responded to an earthquake in Turkey in 2011. So you're familiar with this work, and yet so much of it is things you can't prepare for, I'm expecting, Raul. So just tell me about your preps, who's going out, how many, and, and what are they tasked with as soon as they hit the ground in Turkey? Yeah, yeah so there's, there's multiple small teams. There's like a lead team that's going to coordinate and and run everything, and they're going to be based with um, the same Turkish partner that we had back in 2011 when we gave over one of our field hospitals, and that Turkish partner ran the field hospital in van. So They've asked for some of our big tents to run uh, hospitals and clinics because, you know, there's going to be long-term needs here um, for some of the medical services. So they're scattered in about four areas of the zone. So they're going in to to lead that. Another team's going to go in, a two-member team with portable water purification equipment that they're setting up in feeding center kitchens. We've got some friends that and partners that feed people like that's what their job is to just cook and cook and cook and keep people fed which is important get people comfort food can't do that without clean water so our mission there is going to be important we're putting in family emergency kits so that's a point of use water purification unit along with some hygiene items and a solar light there's a team that's going to go in to set up to receive those get those to different groups and just spread them literally literally be thousands of those and then another team's going to set up with that emergency food program in addition to what I talked about the feeding center so it's pretty fluid multiple teams uh, lots of experience lots of work to be done Roll uh, talk about you know not only the logistical challenges uh, of moving this equipment these individuals to get this relief to get this support what other obstacles might you have other than transportation obstacles can can politics get in the way here yeah, no, no. Politics is, kills humanitarian action, you know, pretty quickly. Look, the, the, the traffic's bad. The roads are bad. There's debris. Roads are broken. you got to get into a forward airport. They've opened up the other airport as well. So it's, it's harder to get aid in. It's harder to move around. Comms are awful. 
the weather's not great. Uh, so these are all major factors. But now <laughs> to get into Syria, you know, it's hard, right? The UN only sanctions one crossing point. There's a few other crossing points that eight, smaller aid agencies like ours use. Um, but just imagine all the trucks that were running that on the Turkish side in. Well, they're going to be tied up now just trying to help Turkey, the logistics capacity. And, that, and this is all political. Like those folks in Syria have nowhere to go. They can't go back away from the, the epicenter core because they would go back to government-controlled territories and they'd get killed. Uh, and that's why they fled, right? And there's 4.6 million of them that fled and went into that area, and 9 out of 10 of them. So 90% of the population in that area needed humanitarian assistance 10 seconds before the earthquake. How bad do you think it is now? Is it largely volunteers heading over? And, and if so, how do you prepare them for the emotional aspect of this type of mission? Yeah, listen, we're run by a, a core team of professional humanitarians. So... Uh, Jamie Kroskemi, our, our, our incident commander for this, and she, you know, she's very good. Um, and so she's a professional humanitarian, works for, for Goldmack. The rest of um, the folks that are going over are professional rescuers, so paramedics, firefighters, um, some retired, uh, some police officers as well, doctors, surgeons, nurses. Uh, you know, when, when you deal with 911 situations and trying to control chaos daily, you, you get used to trying to deal with, with crisis, but you're never truly prepared for this. Um, you don't really like what you see when you get there, but you got to buckle down and, and focus on the patient, the people, the system, you know, just ramping up and getting aid out. So, and, and like I said, we've done this a lot, you know, it's not our first earthquake. It's not even our first earthquake in, in Turkey. So we're, we're experienced, we seasoned, we, we've got good systems. We know how to get the right aid to the right people at the right time. And that time is right now. It's it's sad in some ways that you can become an expert in this kind of thing, right, Raul? Because it happens so often that you get good at what you're doing. And then on the flip side, that's a good thing because you want that expertise in a moment like, like this. But I'm just thinking of the idea of, of no matter how prepared you are, you can't give them everything they need immediately. And then there is that idea that their their emotions are so high. They're scarred. You, you know, Sometimes I've been in these places and, and you hear someone say, all they want is a hug in that moment, right? Because there's all sorts of things going on, not just the need for water, food, and shelter. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of need for psychosocial support as well, mental health support. That's not our focus, right? Our focus is to get the systems up to provide medical care, to get people clean water, to get them food, to get them shelter, just to keep them alive, right? Um, and and we're very strategic and tactical in our ways of doing that and expanding it. And you know what? A lot of the services and the systems, when you get people to shelter, yeah, there's counseling, there, there's other folks. There's never enough of it, right? Because there's like 15 million people in the path of this, right? Like, um, it's a lot of people, you know, and in, in Turkey, it's two major events, right? It's two shallow earthquakes that were really big and populated zones, the worst combination there, right? Nine hours apart, and it's about 10 or 11 cities that are affected. So this is multiple, multiple events in a lot of areas. Just one city would be bad enough. Can you imagine multiplying that by 10 and then add Syria on top of it? Raul Singh is the founder and executive director of Global Medic, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for joining us to give us a peek into what's going, what you're about to do. We appreciate it. I right, take care. Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. 
You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Local businesses are being inundated with demands for prizes for wedding socials as they recover from the pandemic. Is it time for the social to evolve? So far at CJOB.com, 70% say yes, buy our own prizes. 22% say leave it as is, it's tradition. And 7% say just drop the silent auction entirely. So you can cast your vote at CJOB.com. Loren, what did this uh, stem from? There's a local business owner who also is an expert marketer, social media. She runs Sparker Strategy Group. And at 7 o'clock, we talked to her about this post that she put to Instagram and Twitter this week on the idea that she represents a ton of small businesses. She does marketing for them, their social media campaigns. And she said, you will not believe the number of asks small biz get daily that their inboxes are inundated daily with requests from people to donate to a social, to donate to a fundraiser, to donate to this or that. And she said, of course, there's a charitable component to every business, and they get some of these asks, but sometimes they're getting asks from people they've never met who are just firing out 100, what did she call it? You know, those stock letters, Greg, where it's Spray and pray. Spray and pray, where they just spray every single small business and pray that someone's going to come back with a, a donation, a $50 gift card, or, you know, a box of their artisan candles or that kind of thing. And it was driving her nuts. And so she just had to say, stop asking for stuff for free because your your expectation that the business can even afford to do this in a post-pandemic world is crazy. And we've been getting a ton of feedback on this. Yeah, we have one uh, from, <laughs> it's funny too. I just, I saw my name in this text and I thought this person was saying, hi, Brett. And then I sort of replied and said, hey, what's your name? And then I reread the text and it says, hi, all Brett here. (laughs) So hello, Brett. I'm Brett. My fiance and I, says Brett, are currently planning our wedding social. And I can say that we have only reached out to businesses we personally support on a regular basis and they know our names. I would never expect a business to make a donation to us if we do not regularly support them. $50 prize multiple times a month affects the bottom line of a small business, period. Quality prizes are more attractive than volume. So couples planning wedding socials need to understand the current economic landscape for a small business as they recover from the past couple of years. And Susie did say, Greg, that she gets that that charities are, is, is a different category, yes. right? Charities, are you're, they're working hard to raise money for a cause. And not that the social is not a cause, but please stop when you're organizing your social and recognize that your cause Maybe you can't afford a wedding, or so you need a little bit of cash, but often it's people who can afford what they're doing and then are just looking for a bit of a bonus. And so you need to be cognizant of your ask. I like what Mike or Brett was doing there, because Brett's saying, I'm only going to the businesses that I would go, and I'm going to reward them with my customer, you know, being a customer later. I think that's the mic drop on the entire thing. Uh, Brett gets it. That is exactly the way I would hope uh, to approach it. That's the way that I appreciated being approached when I was a manager or a business owner. There was nothing worse. Uh, volleyball or softball season would come around and you get inundated with these letters. Will you sponsor my softball team, my football team, or uh, soccer team? And they would come, come in and it's like, this is the first time I've ever seen you. I've been open for nine months. I've never seen you in this restaurant before. It's nice to meet you. How about we talk about this after you bring in your family for a dinner or a meal? Uh, Then I might contemplate it. And even then I'm going to have to think about the economic impact uh, and the, the ultimate benefit to my business for doing this. And if you can't sell the benefit and there is no discernible benefit other than, hey, I asked you 
sorry. I, I think you got to temper your expectations a little bit. If you don't have a, a reason and a relationship, I, I, I don't think it's right to, to go down that road. So but that's just me. The that's relationship's me. key. What about this, though? One of our listeners says, many businesses have no issues asking for a tip, even in non-traditional circumstances. If there's no issue asking for generosity on the customer's part, why is there an issue asking tip, for generosity on the business's part as tip, well? A tip is a, an exchange for a service. And if you feel that the service wasn't worthy of a tip, don't tip. But if you feel that the service that you received from the business is worthy of a tip from the server, from the individual, from the business as a whole, then tip. That's, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see that that's a false equivalency in my mind. What about the concept of socials overall, Brett, and, and the idea of where they've gone? Well, this one listener says, remember when socials didn't have the prize tables? And it was, you know, a large bottle of perfume and perhaps a 50-50 draw. Cheap drinks and then the late lunch table of cold cuts, cubed cheese and pickles. Maybe let's get back to that and not this 45 minutes lights on social ending prize draw. Which, sidebar, that I hate that and I like the, the trend in recent years to just put the the things up on the wall, like whoever won, or this is the number that won this prize, and this is the number that won that prize. But yeah, I think uh, I would be all in on a simplified process where it's not, you're not trying to get, put together like 30 different prize baskets. You know, get one or two prizes, maybe buy a big screen TV. Yeah. Or, uh, I don't know, some sort of a, a trip, uh, Jets package, I don't know, you know, tickets in a jersey. And, and leave it at that and then just focus on the 50-50 and, and, as they mentioned, maybe the big bottle of perfume. And once again, there are people who are willing to help. There are people in your social circle, in your family, your friends. Maybe they have season tickets for the Jets. And so they're more than happy to, do- yeah, I'll give you a pair of tickets. But that's not because you, you sent 6,000 emails to every single business. It's because, Brett, you're having a social uh, I don't know, for a new car or whatever. Jim Toe said in our meeting, he'd like a new car. Maybe he should have a social. Yeah, I'll, I, I got something in my in my uh, memorabilia collection. I love you. I, I, yeah, here, add it to your prize pack. But uh, yeah, if I don't know you, that, that's not happening. The city of Winnipeg says it's going to restore transit service back to the way it was before COVID hit, that it's working to get the same number of buses back on the road to 100% of pre-pandemic levels. So it's restoring service, and it's also put aside $5 million to launch a transit safety team. And so to get reaction to this, Brian Pincott, avid transit user, joins us now. And I want to add, Brett and Greg, that yesterday Brian also tweeted, Woohoo, Municipal Poly Nerd Budget Day. Looking forward to digging into it. And then adds, Yes, sadly, that's my idea of a fun time. So Brian goes through the numbers often. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, I I really need to get a life. No, <laughs> no, Brian, I pointed it out because they've made fun of, of me and particularly Richard Cloutier in the past that budget days are like our Christmas day and it's not quite. Okay, we both need to get a life. Yeah, no, and I, I, but I, I have to say, you know, I, I am more just listened in to what was being said yesterday than looked at the numbers at all. And so, yeah, we were coming to you because you are someone you spent years in Calgary. You know the transit system in other cities, and now you live in Winnipeg. And so what does getting back even just the service to pre-pandemic levels mean to you? It gets back to, uh, I guess, uh, a slightly less less sucky service. Um, uh, It's Okay, that that was really negative. It's a good (laughs) thing. It's a good thing that we're going, that by September, the city is committing to go back to uh, the service the way it was pre-pandemic. So 
following through on that commitment is a good thing. There are other good things in there. There's really not very sexy, but the commitment to start building a new bus garage, that is desperately needed if we're going to need, if we're going to actually improve service. So there's things like that that are in there as well that are really, that that are good things. Brian, I was mentioning earlier that the view by some is that a city that provides a transit that people want to use versus have to use is yeah. the sign that you've you've achieved uh, some sort of status or some sort of functionality as a city. And I used to live in Calgary myself and uh, rode yeah. the C train back in 1983 when they first started. Winnipeg and Calgary were essentially the same size. In 1983, yeah. Calgary's on its way to 1.7 million in the next year or so. They're about to spend six billion dollars on the Green Line, and that's just one of a multitude of of LRT, of BRT, and a commitment to this rapid transit. Now I know Calgary isn't that big because of transit, but everybody there uses it, or at least sees it as a potential option. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting. So you were there when they Calgary looked and went, okay, we're going to be focusing on transit into the downtown. They married that with parking policy that started restricting the amount of parking so that transit became a preferred choice for people. Uh, we don't have that here. Uh, it, it, if you look at other cities, it's it's a more holistic approach to thinking about uh, how how do different policies fit together to make transit the preferred choice, the choice for people as opposed to a necessity for some people. We don't have that. And restoring transit back to where it was pre-pandemic doesn't give us that either. Is the notion then that we should be removing parking options for people to kind of push them to take the bus? Because depending where you live, the service is garbage. The service is garbage pretty much everywhere. It's 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 not a it's not even a depending where you live kind of thing. The transit master plan looks at how do we actually have a service that is functional and efficient for the majority of people in Winnipeg. But it's a plan that they're going like, well, we're going to take 25 years to implement it. At the same time as they're doing that, they're talking about how do we, and this is the disconnect, is how do we reduce parking rates in the downtown? Well, if you're stuck with a sucky transit ride that is unpredictable, inefficient, uh, versus I can park for really cheap, I know what I'm taking, uh, and I think that we have a bit of a disconnect in, in, at, at City Hall in, think, in how they don't think about how these things fit together. You can't, at the same time as you're saying, we're going to improve transit, uh, make it so that it's easier for people to drive. Because, you know what, I'll sit in my warm car stuck in traffic for an extra five minutes or uh, rather than waiting in a cold, windy, maybe bus shelter. Maybe bus uh, shelter, yeah. Well, it, it, for a bus that might or might not come yeah. when it says it's going to come. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it would cost me uh, just over $12 for me and one of my kids to take the bus round trip to a hockey game. I can park mm-hmm. my car inside 
for 20 bucks or less, why wouldn't I? Why would I ever make that other choice? Exactly. And I think that, you know, there's, there are a lot of, a lot of things that go into, uh, into a mature transit system. There are some people who are talking about, okay, how do we now, how do we start talking about making transit, um, uh, having a fare free um, uh, system? One, from, from a dr- bus driver's perspective, one of the, the, the major point of conflict that a driver is put in is in collecting fares. That's where conflict happens with with transit operators and the public is in the collecting of the fare. If you if if we if you make it so that we actually have a tap system or it's fare free or it's all boarding on uh, on the buses so that you can board not just in the front but in the middle uh, uh, as well, you reduce those points of conflict. You make it safer for the drivers. You make it safer for everybody. So. There's a whole bunch of things in in thinking about a transit system that we want to make if if we want to make it the preferred choice for people, not a necessity, because there's plenty of people that it is a necessity. And oh, my God, if you are reliant on transit, um, you are spending so much of your time waiting for for connections and waiting for the bus. Um, it's just, it, it's just not a feasible choice, but all of these things tie together and yes, we're starting to restore transit to where it was pre pandemic. But as I kind of said, snarkily at the beginning, that just means it's going to be less sucky than it is right now. Brian Bincott is an avid transit user joining us live on 680 CJOB. We appreciate the feedback. Thank you for joining us, sir. <laughs> My pleasure. Have a wonderful day. You Have too. A less sucky day. <laughs> you can react at 204 780 Like one of our listeners saying, yeah, well, we'll um, you can compare Winnipeg to other cities, but uh, minus 20, minus 30 degrees for sometimes two to three weeks. I guess we're not going to build any more splash pads, any more outdoor anything for based on 10, 20 days a year. Come on. that's It's a valid fashion. point, man. I don't want to stand outside and wait for a bus when it's minus 30. If, so, take a, had- so take a cab that day or drive your car that day on the odd day when it's that cold. If the service was good enough and it came quickly, Ottawa... You don't a, have to worry Ottawa's about it. Ottawa's a really cold city. I live there. If you have a good bus shelter that you can actually use and the service is coming every six minutes, you're six minutes in the cold, not 26. That's the problem. In Helsinki, the, the question I asked was, how do I know when the bus is coming? The answer was, it's all always coming that's never the answer here it is Mackling McGarry and McNabb what's something that you forget you can't live without for a chance to win tickets to see one night with the king three Elvis champions club region event center May 4th this was inspired by the fact that I ran out of mouthwash Tuesday night and then Wednesday morning because I didn't have my mouthwash. My mouth felt gross all day long until I got to the grocery store and reloaded. I said mouthwash. Kevin goes the other way. Kevin says, I can't live. So I can't. It's not something you can't live without. It's I can't live with passwords. 
I always forget them, and then I write them down on a piece of paper, and I lose the paper. I forget instantly when I change something. And we were talking about Netflix and the changes that are coming to Netflix right now, where you can no longer share passwords with people who don't live in your household. But I have to, every once in a while, you do an update, or you forget to ha- when you're signing in. So I change the password, and then 20 minutes later, one of my kids will be like, what was that again? Because they're downstairs logging in to a different device, and I immediately be like, I don't know, like... I have no idea. Try this. And it's never right. Instantly forget. There Instantly. are several fe- several websites and apps where I, know. I have to I have to hit the forgot password thing every single time I log in. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. Yep. There's a I remember I have um access to uh special screening stuff for the couch potatoes from the, from time to time and the Disney app where they'll say, oh, Hey, here's right. a screening link, but the password is minimum. 16 characters. Like, are you kidding me? You really think I'm going to remember that? And it has to have letters, numbers, and special characters like a star. (laughs) The droids would figure out the 15 (laughs) character password, but 16, Uh, uh, they're stymied. I had my husband call the other day for our VR, like our virtual reality, was connected through Facebook when I initially hooked it up. We couldn't log in. So my Facebook account's 20, I don't know how many years old. It was connected to my Hotmail, Hotmail from like 2002. He's like, what's your Hotmail password? I was like, oh, you got to be kidding, man. Like I haven't used that account since like I didn't even live here. Don't disparage Hotmail no. account users, but, Loren. But then the secret, they, you know how it has the secret password or whatever? The question was, what's blank what was your nickname for blank? And it was like one of my boyfriends from 1999. Oh, oh no. And I was like, ooh, what was the nickname? And he's like, do I want to know this? So I was like, no, no, it's perfectly innocuous, but. Janice is our winner. Janice says, I cannot live without my chapstick. Absolutely addicted. I have one in my purse, one in my work bag, one in my desk, and a backup in my drawer under my desk. My hubby threw my purse in my car one day on the front seats. I went to reach for my chapstick and it was gone. My drive was horrible. <laughs> But I was able to pull over and find my chapstick. It had fallen out under the seat. But thank goodness it was there. That's an addiction right there. As Lorenz scratching her back with her back scratcher. <laughs> she can't live without Janice, the back scratcher. Janice, come on, get it together. <laughs> Janice, you're going to see the concert on May 4th. Enjoy the show. Two more sleeps until the Winnipeg Jets return to action. Yes, with all the six o'clock starts we had last month, Brett, I feel like it's been a while since I've sacrificed any sleep to watch or listen to the Jets. Well, we're going to fix that right quick. Saturday night at Canada Life Center, we've been mentioning this, a nine o'clock start versus the Blackhawks of Chicago to kick off 30 games in 61 days for the home team analyst on our Jets broadcast here on your radio home of the Winnipeg Jets. Jamie Thomas joins us now. JT, good morning, my friend. Uh, good morning, guys. And you know who we can blame for that nine o'clock start, right? Uh, Hockey night in Canada? Nope. Them and, well, they're kind of like a partial at fault of this one. It's the Toronto Maple Leafs' fault because they won't play that second game of the doubleheader. They're in Vancouver, so they get <gasps> four o'clock. Are you, you know kidding I mean? me? I know. It's they've never ever, anytime they're in Vancouver they always get the four o'clock start so it's because it has to be seven o'clock in the Eastern Time Zone right Well they, I they damn okay and I do remember I used to spend a lot of time in Vancouver my grandparents lived out there in the eighties and I remember going to Saturday night games at four o'clock yeah. before they had yeah. the doubleheader so uh, yeah. okay well you know what I think it's going to be a really fun atmosphere in the arena on Saturday night. We'll, we'll see if there's more coffee, more beer. That's sort of our, our conversation, right. Jamie. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, there'll be more beer, I think. Yeah, I do too. Could make for a raucous cr- crowd. Now, don't let anyone yeah. uh, get away with that face for radio stuff, Jamie, because you are also part of the uh, the team on Jets TV. Did you get a break right. over the last yeah. couple of weeks? Yes, I did. Uh, it was nice because now my family knows who I am again. So we, we've uh, re- reintroduced ourselves to one another. So uh, a lot of driving around, driving the kids to their respective extra events and to school and stuff like that. So it, it, it was nice. It's, uh, but I am excited to get back to watching practice and, and the Jets getting back on the ice again. So, Jamie, when Rick Bonus was introduced as Jets head coach, mm-hmm. no secret that some saw him as the consolation prize or a second mm-hmm. choice. Uh, many yeah. of us didn't really know what to expect from the Jets this season. What's been your favorite storyline from the season so far? Uh, I think there's so many places to go with this, right? I think the, where the team is, um, you know, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of people looked at oh, like, okay, Rick Bonus, what is this really going to mean? But I had talked to a lot of people around the league, and uh, Dan Murphy, who covers the Canucks for Sportsnet, play, you know, clearly has covered the Canucks when, when Rick was there. And it's just he just spoke so highly of him. He says he's one of his favorite people in the league. And he just as we go around into each respective NHL city, that you know, Rick's kind of got this aura around him, and everyone has nothing bad to say about the guy. So for my favorite storyline is just there was low expectations for this team. And, you know, he Rick kept saying what he saw in the Jets and why he took the job. And I think that's, you know, we kind of got lost with the offseason so, that they had last year. So my favorite storyline is the fact that they're in second place in the Central Division within striking distance of first place in, in the conference and the division. And just how this is slowly built and people are starting to slowly get on board with what they have and what this team is, and always kind of has been. They just kind of needed that new voice. You, you think back to when Paul Marie stepped down last January, and you're like, okay, he said they need a new voice. Well, here it is. That new voice has come in and completely turned things around here. And I know clearly you have to give the players credit, guys, but I, I think we should all be pleased with where this team is and that they're entertaining to watch night after night, and they're competitive, and they're exactly the team that everyone thought they would have been last year. Well, and I think a lot of people had the impression that maybe they would have to do it through a New Jersey style circa 1993, 94 style hockey, right? That, that neutral zone trap or, or a boring defensive play style hockey. And that certainly has not been the case. In fact, I would argue it's a more exciting brand of hockey than what they've been playing over the last several years with the defense activated. Uh, Now, I know you're from out West, Jamie. And so I'm the old guy here and, and been cheering and, and following the Jets uh, since 1975. Do you think mm-hmm. part of that Rick bonus thing, and maybe Paulie would have a, a take on this as well, but do you yeah. think part of the bonus thing was the fact that, oh, it felt because bonus was a, a Jets player and then he was a Jets coach. And do you think that was part of the hesitation and, and the lack of maybe uh, respect for his pedigree was the fact that, you know, he was, he felt like, oh, it was uh, recycling tires a little bit. Right. And I, I remembered um, when the Oilers were kind of struggling after the Gretzky years and stuff like that, the Oilers kept bringing back, you know, this guy, you know, Kevin Lowe is the general manager, Craig McTavish is the head coach. And, you know, they kept talking about how they kept recycling the old Oilers, the old boys club and stuff like that. But I, 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 I think that was the hesitation. I just think people were so upset that Barry Trotz couldn't, didn't come to Winnipeg, you know, the Manitoba guy and, but I think what they have, with, certainly with Scott O'Neill too and Rick Bonus, guys that understand what Winnipeg is, what Manitoba is all about, and want to be here. 
and that kind of creeps in to the room as well, right? So the coaching staff's committed to the community. They understand what Winnipeggers are, what Manitobans are all about. Um, and that, that I think, plays a large role in anything, any type of success. And, you know, even Paul Maurice embraced being a Winnipegger and being a Manitoban. Um, Rick Bonus has that, in, and then uh, then some, right? Having already experienced it before, his wife Judy and his kids. And um, so that, I, I think I could see why people are thinking that. But what we have now is a complete opposite, I think, of what a lot of people have. And it's a competitive hockey team and is being talked about uh, possibly being a Stanley Cup contender here as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline and, of course, the playoffs themselves. So the Dallas Stars, they collected another win last night. And and even when they are losing, they are grabbing those loser points in overtime or the shootout. So that's seven straight games with a point for first place Dallas. So they've opened mm-hmm. up a five-point gap between themselves and the Jets. Should the Jets be concerned about anyone else besides Dallas in the Central? Well, I think you guys know too, right? Minnesota's kind of hanging around, though Dallas beat them last night. But you should always be looking over your shoulder with the Colorado Avalanche who are starting to get healthy. You know, Nathan McKinnon's back. Gabriel Landeskog is getting closer and closer to coming back. So they've uh, kind of... You know, they lost the other night at Pittsburgh, of course, in overtime. But I, I think the two teams, so there's, this is going to be a four-team race in the whole scheme of things for the top three spots. Because Colorado will have a large say in this. And it's unbelievable. They're, you know, they had to struggle for the longest time. But they're still just defending Stanley Cup champions. They're still highly dangerous. Or uh, The Jets have a couple of games left with them in, in the last 30 here uh, coming up. So them... Um, got to figure out what Minnesota's always doing. It's always a battle with them as well. So it's a four-team race, in my opinion. But, you know, I'm sure Rick Bonus would argue, worry about who's in front of us and, and take care of ourselves instead of worrying about the, the teams that are sitting behind us right now. But I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on Minnesota and Colorado as, as the season progresses. But you don't have to comment on this one, Jamie, but there's a conspiracy theory floating around in my head with regard to the Landis Cog industry or injury yeah. and, and yeah. Colorado having three or four games in hand on everybody else yeah. in the division. It's like, ah, oh, that's very yeah. convenient. Anyway, let, let, let's talk about the positive <laughs> before we let you run more. Morrissey, yeah. Josh Morrissey's season of extraordinary performances and firsts continued this past weekend with his first ever all-star experience. What do you think that honor and that opportunity have met for uh, number 44? Well, I, I think it clear, I don't know if, I don't want to speak for him, but to me, this is like another, you know, like feather in the cap where he's like this, you're an elite player in the national hockey league. And we, you know, that game against St. Louis right before the all-star break, that is, you know, that's the leadership and what Josh Morrissey is, right? When he scored that goal to make a 3-1, and it just, or sorry, 2-1, it just, you could, the building erupted. Like, it, it was so quiet in Canada Life Center up until that moment, and it didn't stop after that because, you know, he's yelling at the fans, come on, let's go, let's go. And um, I just think that's another part of his confidence growing every day. And you're sitting in an all, a room with your fellow all-stars, your fellow peers in the Central Division, and, you know, being on the ice with all those guys, knowing you belong with all of them, I don't. I think that has a trickle down effect to his confidence even more um, as this goes along. And of course, the break they just had, I think we're just seeing the start of where Josh Morrissey goes in his National Hockey League career, and certainly this season as he tries to continue to keep his name in the Norris Trophy conversation. Because I think there's a lot more that he has to give at this point. Jamie Thomas from Jets TV joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jamie, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your day and have fun this weekend. Staying up late, get the coffee going. Yeah, see you at the rink, uh, Jamie. (laughs) You bet, guys.
We check in with Jets TV every Thursday just after 9.30 here on your radio home of the Winnipeg Jets, 680 CJOB. And we'll have more hockey on Jets at noon with Cameron Poitras and Jim Toth. I haven't decided if I'm going to that game on Saturday night or not, Brett, but I could just see, I want to go. I could just see me fast asleep in my seat, second (laughs) period. No. My little brother used to fall asleep at the Jets games all the time. Get out. When we were little, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He slept uh, right through. uh, I remember him sleeping right through the third period of a playoff game. The year that the Jets won the Avco Cup, we were there with my mom and dad, all four of us, and my mom had to wake him up when everybody was celebrating the Avco Cup victory because he he, he he was a tired kid. Oh, man. (laughs) I fell asleep asleep once, and this is going to sound like – like I was bored at the ballet. It was for Nutcracker. Yeah. I wasn't bored. I was I was mesmerized, but it was in the second act of Nutcracker where they come out and they do the it's so it's a dream sequence and it's like the sugar plum fairy music or whatever it is. It was just so relaxing and soothing that I and hypnotizing and it just lulled me to sleep. And I was and my girlfriend at the time was mad. Try to take you to the ballet for the first time, you fall asleep. Like I I'm just so relaxed. I fell asleep at Phantom of the Opera. In oh, the second no. act I did, front row of the second balcony. <gasps> I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> it probably happens more than we think. 